The retirement and IRA show represents the words and views of the show hosts exclusively and should not be construed as investment, legal, or tax advice. All information is believed to be from reliable sources. However, we make no representation as to its completeness or accuracy. All economic and performance information is historical in nature and is not indicative of any future results. Any indices mentioned on the show are unmanaged and cannot be invested indirectly. Diversification and asset allocation strategies do not assure profit or protect against loss. Never make any investment or financial decisions based on information offered on this show without first consulting your financial, legal, or tax advisor. Financial planning services offered through Jim Solnier and Associates, LLC, a registered investment advisor. This is the Retirement and IRA Show coming to you from beautiful northern Colorado. Join us as certified financial planner Jim Saunier, as well as Colorado State University finance instructor and certified financial planner Chris Stein, teach you about IRAs, 401ks, annuities, social security, pension plans, and estate planning in a fun and enjoyable show. Whether you are listening live in Colorado or streaming from their website or iTunes podcast, Jim and Chris want you to know that they're available to help you plan for your retirement. Just visit their website at jimhelps.com. That's jim, H-E-L-P-S dot com. And click the Meet the Team button on the homepage. Now here's Jim and Chris with today's show. Well, welcome to the Retirement and IRA Show EDU edition for this week. We had uh, just kind of a spontaneous decision, we'll call it, as to the topic today on today's show. Um, if you've been listening lately in the not-too-distant past, we've talked some about one of the uh, sections of the SECURE Act 2.0, uh, Section 204, that among other things allows certain treatment of RMDs as calculated for an annuitized portion of your retirement account and in a way that might benefit you from an overall RMD situation. I'll just kind of summarize it as that. We'll get into it a little bit deeper in a minute. And if you just tuned in for the first time, that I'm sure sounds like a very obscure type of a topic. But if you're a regular listener, um, I think we've got some additional information today that will be of interest uh, and hopefully a bit educational, which is why we put it on the EDU show here. And uh, essentially... The point we brought up in the past, and uh, I'm giving this summary as Jim is pulling together a bit of information because we decided to do this spontaneously, but uh, in the past we talked about one of the challenges in actually employing the benefits of uh, Section 204 of Secure 2.0 was in actually having a, a method acceptable to the IRS to determine what RMDs might be associated with an annuity that you're holding in your retirement account and how that then might, you know, play a part in maybe being considered excess, uh, which can be used to offset an RMD maybe in another portion of your retirement account. And, and usually this is going to be happening inside of an IRA when someone has an account balance for part of it, but they've also taken part of their IRA and purchased an annuity of, of varying types. Um, and there's confusion. There's been a lot of confusion as to how this is actually going to work. And we had made the point on previous shows that we're all kind of waiting for clarity on how the IRS is going to expect people 
to determine the RMDs that would be associated with the annuity um, because those rules have changed. Um, there used to be a pretty simplistic rule about calculating an RMD for an annuity that was in an IRA, and that was simply the rule that whatever the payment was from the annuity, they considered that the RMD for that individual portion of your IRA. There was no excess to be allocated, no offsetting. There's nothing. It was very clean. But as most people were aware that had annuities in their IRA, the distributions from those annuities were generally larger than the RMD would have normally been from that portion of their IRA. So Secure Act 2.0 opened the door to taking those larger payments that might be in excess of what would be a typically required minimum distribution and allow you to use those essentially to offset RMDs uh, that you would be forced to take from the rest of your non-annuitized IRA. And I'm trying to be as clear as possible on this. Those of you who followed this topic for a while probably have, are, are with me still, but uh, maybe as we describe the nuances and describe this, what I think is new information that, that we've run across that is going to be helpful to people to kind of see how this is progressing through the financial services industry. And uh, uh, maybe you'll, you'll, you'll catch on if, if I've lost you, but I'll check in now with Jim to see if he's gathered together everything he needs to, to join us. I, I tap danced as long as I could, and maybe I got everybody up to speed with where we were headed here, but what say you, Jim? <laughs> well, what says us is we need to first apologize to listeners because we promised we were not, at least I did. I was said no more 204 until oh, June. That's true. I forgot about that. Yeah. <laughs> so people are going to be saying, wait a minute, didn't you just say about three, four weeks ago, no more section 204 until National Annuity Awareness Month in June? <laughs> yes. But a couple of things kind of came together today that is forcing us to do this, which I think will be a pretty good show just the same. Uh, number one, I'm in Florida visiting mom and uh, enjoying it so far. But um, I have limited access to a lot of things. So I was struggling today to figure out what we were going to chat about. And then Chris hit me with, hey, we've got to record sooner rather than later. And Tuesdays, which is the day we record this uh, show that appears on Wednesday, is very busy for us in the office. So we had limited time to put something together. And for about the past week, just randomly, People have been sending me information on their annuities in response to this, I think, two shows we did talking about Section 204, which was confusing a lot of listeners. And I thought, let's chat about this. I have it handy. I have the stuff in front of me. I'm in Florida. I don't have access to everything I need. And I think it'll be timely. So what we're going to really talk about today is people have started sharing with me and listeners who have sent me uh, information, I greatly appreciate it. Some of you, actually most of you, actually sent me copies of your annuity statements to read and see what the insurance companies are doing in response to Section 204. So I appreciate that. However, you might want to encrypt them 
Or I admit there's not anything personal identifiable in there, but your name and the last four digits of your account numbers do show. You might want to redact some of those out when sending it to some strange podcast host. I mean, I don't mind at all uh, with people sending it to me, but um, I guess everybody has their own opinion, Chris, of, of what they want to randomly send and what they don't want to randomly send. So uh, some people redacted a lot of the statements out. Other people just sent me the entire statement. So I guess it comes to personal preference. Uh, what says you? Well, in this day and age, if you're using a mainstream email service provider, it's usually pretty safe. But yeah, if you're particularly worried about that, I would not send stuff with personally I know our email I mean we we're mandated to have encrypted email uh, by the regulators and we do our service but you're saying that most email from big time providers Mm -hmm. is already encrypted I did not know that yeah behind the scenes they everything as it's transferring between the services like between say Gmail and our server or Yahoo and our not our personal server but we use uh, Office 365 with Microsoft all those major channels back and forth they've got encrypted now doesn't mean that an individual machine might you know have some kind of issue on it but okay the, I didn't the transfer that. process so, now is is pretty safe then maybe that's why the people just sent everything out mm-hmm. they they realized they were sending it through an encrypted server so i apologize mm-hmm. folks maybe you knew something that i didn't okay so i really want to try to cover three different types of annuities and how Section 204 could come into play, and how the insurance industry has seemed to have stepped up and solved one of the biggest issues that Congress inadvertently created, and the IRS has seemed to have ignored for the last two years, which is how to come up with the net present value of an annuitized stream of income. Because as we have covered on the previous shows, Section 204 of the SECURE Act 2 stated that if you have an annuitized annuity, and that's the verb, folks, it's the preferable annuity to Chris and I. It is often called a single premium immediate annuity although some are deferred income annuities. But a single premium immediate annuity, as the name implies, you put a single dollar amount in, and your income begins, quote-unquote, immediately, which in industry parlance is within the first 12 months. Now, it's technically 13 months because your first payment is always the earliest the following month. So if you put it in, the first 30 days, if you will, don't count. The insurance company is getting everything set. And then 12 months from there is when the income has to begin, or 13 months in total. So that's an immediate annuity. The income will begin essentially somewhere within the first, technically 12 months, but realistically 13 months. So we're going to be concentrating today on single premium immediate annuities. I also want to touch upon withdrawal annuities. 
I'm going to really cover withdrawal annuities in much greater detail in June. But a couple of the statements that were sent to me were on withdrawal annuities. And I thought that was beneficial. Now, the statements that I received on withdrawal annuities were for actual clients of ours. But it's the, I won't say the first time, but the insurance companies were very proactive. Usually we have to reach out to them. They were very proactive and sent them to us. And then I want to talk about Culex, Chris's favorite annuity, which is a verb annuity, but different than a single, dramatically different than a single premium immediate annuity. But where Section 204, to me, has changed the math on Culex and made them, in my opinion, um, very much in vogue, if you will, or very much in, I don't want to say demand, but very much, help me out here, Chris, my mind is going to blank, but very much a strong yeah, contender. Consideration, yeah. contender, I like that, for funding your retirement because of Section 204. You might be able to get a, a double benefit from a QLAC uh, as far as required minimum distributions go. So let's get to the SPIAs first. Without rehashing everything, uh, I think our last shows on 204 when we did two in a row, Chris, was about what, three, four weeks ago. So it's not that long ago. A new listener could go back a couple of weeks and find them, mm-hmm. right? Yeah, easily. Okay. So there were two EDU shows we did on section 204. Go back and read the read. <laughs> go back and listen to those. I'm just going to assume today you know what the heck it is I'm talking about. So with 204, the uh, Congress, when they passed Secure 2, essentially were saying, hey, we recognize one of the issues with buying a single premium immediate annuity, with annuitizing some of your longevity risk. One of the issues is the amount of money you're going to receive from the IRA once it has been annuitized is significantly greater than what we, Congress, are going to demand you take out through the required minimum distribution rules. And that was a hindrance for some people to ever annuitize. That always made me scratch my head because I didn't quite understand it. You were going to get too much money, so I don't want to do it. Again, it made me scratch my head. Yes, you're going to have to pay taxes on more money than you would have, but this money is guaranteed and it's going to continue forever. How is that a bad thing? But for I, I guess it could be for some people, but honestly, it always made me smile and laugh when someone would say, oh, I don't want it. It's going to be too much, and I have to pay taxes on it. I'd rather get more money than I need and give a little of it to the government and get to keep the rest. I don't know. Call me old-fashioned, but I would much rather have more money than I need than less money. But nonetheless, Congress accepted that that was a hindrance. And if there's one thing you may have noticed, especially if you listen to this podcast, Congress has been going out of their way to try to make 401ks 
which some will argue have failed miserably in prepping people for retirement. I'm not saying I take that argument, but many have made that argument. And trying to make them as much like a defined benefit pension plan as possible. So they have quietly created QLEX, government created QLEX, not the industry. We'll chat about them later on. They have also passed Section 204, and they also gave employers specific liability protections now to offer income annuities inside 401ks, which was always allowed but never done because companies were worried that they would be held responsible for mistakes of the insurance company. So Congress passed specific protections. It's not a blanket protection, so don't concern yourself with that. Congress is saying, hey, if you do correct due diligence, if you follow these rules, nobody can sue you in the future for something that you didn't know in the present. So if you follow these due diligence rules, and do the due diligence on the annuities you want to offer. And assuming they pass these rules, you will be not held liable if later something happens to that insurance company that you wouldn't have known at the time. And that type of protection, to me, is fair. You can't sue someone later in hindsight and say, hey, Because all of this stuff that happened, I should have never did what you said I should have done 20 years ago. Well, as long as the person 20 years ago gave you sound advice at that time and had no conceivable way of imagining what actually did happen that would cause 20 years later for their recommendation to not have been the quote unquote correct one. You can't sue them in hindsight. So employers have just been granted that protection. It's not a blanket protection. If they don't do their due diligence and choose a really poorly rated insurance company that anyone with half a brain probably wouldn't have chosen on their own, yes, that company can still be held liable. But if they follow proper disclosures and due diligence, rather, and um, base it on sound knowledge at that time, no, they cannot be held responsible 10, 20, 30 years later if something crops up. So all of these little nuances that Congress has built in, they're really trying to make 401ks more guaranteed income friendly. Because Congress recognizes lifetime guaranteed secure income is a pretty sweet thing. And if you have it, you love it. And if you don't have it, you want it. Anything you want to add on that little tirade, Chris? No, I do think that they've had a track record of the past five, eight years of changing things to make available more options for people that are looking to more closely replicate the old pension type of an experience, whether it's for just a portion of their retirement savings or conceivably all of it. But um, 
I think people, now that they've lived in the 401k world long enough now and have retired into that system, um, it, we were kind of sold on 401ks as the, oh, this is way better than, than <laughs> anything before. You get, look at all the control you have. You can take it with you. you. You get to decide how it's invested, all this kind of stuff. People are just now realizing, yeah, but we don't have any of the other natural lifetime protections that we had under the old pension system. And uh, annuities kind of fill that void. So making them more compatible with retirement plans, um, I think, gives people beneficial flexibility. And, and, and Congress is obviously coming around to that because they're enacting rules and laws that allow us to do it. Okay. All right. So what have people been sharing with me? When Congress passed Section 204, they said, hey, we're going to give you some incentive. If you buy one of these annuities, and by design, the annuity is going to be paying out significantly more than you would have to take as a required minimum distribution, we're going to allow you to use the difference. The difference between what you would have to take as a required minimum distribution and what the insurance company is giving you as a guaranteed lifetime stream of income. Remember, folks, in a single premium immediate annuity, the verb annuitized, it's no longer a noun in annuity. It is a verb, an action, an annuitized annuity paying you income. There is no lump sum of money anymore. It's just income. But Congress was saying, we're going to allow you to try to figure out what the RMD would have been if you never annuitized. We're going to allow you to subtract that RMD amount from the actual income you are receiving from that annuitized IRA annuity and the difference between the two, which can be quite substantial. You can take that difference and offset RMDs that you would have to take from non-annuitized regular traditional IRAs, if you will, folks. We're going to allow you to offset that if you don't want to take it. You can always take it if you want it from your traditional IRA. But if you don't need it and don't want it, the difference in your annuity payments can be used to reduce the required minimum distributions from your non-annuitized IRAs. Wonderful strategy. But Congress failed in one measure. What was that, Chris? They didn't provide clarity or specifics on how you were to determine the RMD that should have been, you know, that would traditionally be required from that, quote, account, since there's no account balance that you can readily see to do a calculation that would lead you to be able to implement this, this, you know, new plan or this new option. Um, they left it up in the air, I guess, for everybody to kind of work it out. Exactly. So that was the problem. And what had happened is people were trying to figure out how do I figure out what the RMD would have been if I never annuitized it in the first place. It's very easy to figure it out in year one because your RMD is always based on the previous year's December 31st value. 
So if you were going to buy an annuity in, say, 2023, let's just say you, you did it in 2023, it's very easy to figure out what the excess amount was because your RMDs would have been based on the year-end 2022 value of all your IRAs. Remember, you haven't bought the annuity yet. So you would use the December 31st value of 2022 to set your 2023 RMDs. So then you could transfer the money tax-free from your traditional IRA into the annuity. The annuity, if it's this immediate annuity, would have started payments within 30 days up to 13 months. As long as the first payment happens sometime in 2023, Essentially, that entire first payment could be used to offset your required minimum distribution. It was very easy to do. However, what happens the following year? Well, under SECURE, they didn't give any guidance. Congress didn't. And I said in the prior shows, hopefully the insurance companies, the first place you should do is call the insurance company and ask them what their estimate of the net present value is. And that's where our listeners come in. And they've started to share with me some of the letters they have received. So one letter came in from a gentleman, and I I don't think there's anything wrong with naming the, the insurance companies. It's This one was New York Life. It's, it's neither a praise or, or a hatred of New York Life. It's this gentleman, not a client of mine, don't know the man from a hole in the wall, But he apparently bought an annuity at New York Life. And his letter begins, we would like to take this opportunity to inform you of the 2023 year-end estimated fair market value for your New York Life guaranteed income annuity. As of December 20, excuse me, as of December 31st, 2023, this value was $230,585.19. So this company provided this listener their opinion of the net present value of their annuitized annuity. This is a verb annuity. This is a SPIA, single premium immediate annuity. There is no account balance. This guy can't go and take out $230,585.91 from this annuity. It doesn't exist. He gets an income stream and that's it. But he now has the account balance. Now, I have no idea how old this gentleman is or what, but he can take this estimated lump sum value of his annuity and add it to the December 31st, 2023 value of all his other IRAs. Just add this phantom account balance. He doesn't have it. It's not real money. But he can add this account balance to all his other IRAs and then determine what his RMD is by putting it through the divisor that applies to him. I'm going to assume he's using the uniform lifetime table. Most people use that unless you're married to somebody more than 10 years younger than you, then you would use the um, joint life tables. 
but let's just assume he does hasn't married anyone more than 10 years younger than him. So he's going to just go to the uniform lifetime table, find his age in 2024, and divide it by his December 31st, 2023 IRA balance, including this phantom current value of his spear from New York Life. Once he has that number, he can then use the entire annuity payment from New York Life and use it to offset what the RMD is. If the annuity payment is not greater than his RMD for all his IRAs, including the annuity itself, then he'd have to make up the difference by taking extra dollars out of his non-annuitized IRAs. But if the annuity payment is greater than what his total RMD is, including the value of the annuity, then he doesn't have to take anything else out if he doesn't want to. Does he say by any chance how old he is? Because we could give people a little more tangible dollars to think about. He didn't. So you Mm -hmm. can, if you want to do some hypotheticals, why don't you just randomly choose a couple of ages and um, I'm going to mute myself and go grab a water real quick. So what was the, I didn't write it down. So give me the account balance again. 200, according to New York Life. Yeah, the fair market. 230,000. Yep. $585.91. And what is the annual payment he's receiving from that annuity? He, he, again, he didn't tell me that. Oh, then I can't can't do anything of help here because what I was trying to do is compare the RMD that would be required for the 235.85 and compare it to the payment and the excess because there'll be an excess. You can offset other IRA RMDs using that amount. That would be another way let of thinking me, about this. Let me read this, his so. email. I just have his statement open. Maybe he gives me his age. Yeah, if we had, if we had either age or age, we can do kind of a hypothetical. But if we knew kind of what how much he was receiving, that would kind of enlighten people as to what we've talked about, how the, uh, the SPIA payment itself is going to be bigger than the RMD would typically be. And that excess, the the how much bigger it is than it would typically be, is what is available to offset other IRA RMD amounts. You now, I'm have. looking so, through everyone. Another person used New yeah. York Life as well. Another person used uh, USAA. None of them gave me how much they're getting. Yeah, okay. I see what you're saying. If we yeah. knew how much they were getting we can and how old out the they excess, were. Yeah. Right. Mm-hmm. Well, you could still go through and just say hypothetically, let's say they were receiving twenty five thousand from the yeah, New York Yeah, so let's say annuity. let's say in twenty twenty four they're seventy four years old, so the divisor would be twenty five and a half. So their typical RMD on that amount is going to be nine thousand forty two dollars. That would be the typical RMD if they had a non annuitized IRA with a balance on December thirty first of 23585. That's how we would get to that RMD for a 74-year-old using the uniform lifetime table. If that annuity is instead paying just to make up a number, $11,042 every single year, you can see it's $2,000 bigger than the RMD would imply, you know, be implied from that 23585 fair market value. So that $2,000 extra in my hypothetical example is available to 
offset other RMDs that you might have to be taking from an IRA. Now, you can't offset it against uh, 401k, other types of retirement accounts, RMDs. You can't aggregate between retirement account types for the most part, IRA to IRA, um, but um, it is allowed. So, And that's really getting back to the IRS viewing all of your IRAs as one big IRA. That's why it's easy to aggregate and make those RMDs kind of portable and apply them uh, as as uh, benefits you. But that's kind of what Section 204 is unlocking is that extra, in my hypothetical, that extra $2,000 that normally would not, would it wouldn't be lost, it would be income coming to you, but you wouldn't be able to say, well, see, I've, I've taken 11000 out of this account, so let me use that in determining my global IRA RMDs and make an adjustment. They didn't allow you to do that before Secure 2.0, and, and now it's here, and now that these insurance companies, they're, they're making it much easier on people. They don't have to come up with their own methodology to come up with the fair market value lump sum equivalent of this income annuity, the insurance companies supplying it. So now you actually have a very defensible number for the IRS. If the IRS comes a knocking to question how you determined your RMDs for this year, for 2024, you can say, well, the insurance company who I trust is giving me accurate information told me the account balance equivalent that I should be using for all of this is $230,585. And, uh, so I'm I'm very much encouraged that these insurance companies are starting to do that because it's gonna it's gonna start clearing up these muddy waters that we've been dealing with. Right, and then another one I got, and again, thank you, listeners, for sending these to me. And, and many of you did, and I don't have time to read all your statements over the air, but this one came from USAA. Uh, their letter is a little bit nice in the sense it covers a very important element that New York Life didn't mention, and it says. Um, we are providing you with a statement of the fair market value of the above-referenced IRA contract as of the end of the previous calendar year. And their fair market value is $254,669.89. So the insurance companies are really, they're not rounding up. They're just giving you, and uh, clearly they have an algorithm that they have created, and it's whatever that algorithm spits out. But they go one step further and they say, please note that this fair market value identified above is not available for surrender, withdrawal or transfer. Mm -hmm. So they're they're trying to cut down on people because I know some people are going to get confused and call up and say, hey, yeah, I want to close my account. Can you give me the two hundred and fifty four thousand six hundred sixty nine dollars and eighty nine cents? So at least USAA is trying to nip the bud and say, hey, um, no, you can't surrender it. You can't withdraw it. You can't transfer. It's phantom. But you are going to be able to use. They should have got into this. They don't. They should get into it more and say you might be able to use this in the calculation of required minimum distribution for other IRAs that you may have. But they don't get into any of that. They're just telling you, you can't withdraw this, you can't touch it, you can't play with it. But at least they're providing it. Mm-hmm. So that is good to see. Now, I did receive an email, and I can't find it, from someone telling me uh, one of their annuities did not give them the fair market value. 
the other two companies did. So it's not universal. But I do think more and more and more companies are just going to bite the bullet and say, hey, people keep calling us constantly for this. And they should do this. It's not hard for them. They just have to write an algorithm. They they know the interest rate that they've used. They know the mortality tables that they're using. All the, the unknowns that you would have to try to guess, they know. So it's not incredibly difficult for them to do. And I'm glad that they are doing it. Okay. So let's talk now, though, about withdrawal annuities. Withdrawal benefits, this can get a little bit confusing. This gives you a lifetime stream of income without the verb, at least without the verb. For a while. For a while. Yeah. Eventually will become the verb, which, and again, I'll talk more about this in June. And what I mean by the verb again, folks, is when you no longer have a physical account balance that you can debit, just like USAA in this example was saying, hey, you don't have this money. We're giving you a hypothetical number, but you can't withdraw it. You can't surrender it. You can't transfer it. It's not real. That's the verb. And when you have the verb, the action, you've got income, but no money. Well, a withdrawal annuity Oh, it's technically called a withdrawal benefit. It originally began with a GMIB, guaranteed minimum income, guaranteed minimum income benefit. We'll talk about those in June. They've been replaced by G- GMWBs, guaranteed minimum withdrawal benefits. You very rarely see a GMIB anymore. They're mostly all GMWBs. Well, what's that? It's called a living benefit. It's the insurance company's answer to what the industry has termed the annuity puzzle. Now, that is what the insurance companies will tell you. The cynic in me says it is the answer to advisors who don't like spears because of one simple reason. They don't make any money off. And because they don't make any money off of a single premium immediate annuity. And when you sell one, even if you have an insurance license, like I do, when I put someone into a spear, I generally make in a commission for my time in trouble, anywhere between 50 basis points And about 175 basis points, depending on how much money is going into the product and how old the client is. As a one-time compensation. One time. Mm -hmm. One time. So what is more valuable if you are an advisory firm, not a firm like mine, where I hate the AUM model. You all know that. I can't stand the uncapped AUM model. But that's 90% of our industry. Which type of advisor is going to want to take two, three, four, five hundred thousand dollars of their client money? And if they're charging the standard one percent fee, that's two, three, four, five thousand dollars a year of annual income. 
who's really going to make the recommendation that you take two, three, four, five thousand dollars of their annual income and essentially get rid of it? And for their effort, maybe give them as a commission half of their annual fee at one time? Nobody. So the industry didn't want to come out and say, gee, advisors aren't selling single premium media annuities because they don't pay anything and they're not profitable. No. So they came out and made this sound so much more altruistic that, hey, we're going to help solve the annuity puzzle. The annuity puzzle is the term academics gave, and I don't know which academic, but gave the puzzle of why won't people buy guaranteed lifetime streams of income? And I used to always sit here and say, it's no puzzle. It's because their advisors are telling them not to, because their advisors want to continue managing their money and getting dollars for it. Okay, that's the cynic in me. But a withdrawal annuity came out to try to solve that puzzle, they claim. But what it really did was create annuities that would allow advisors to continue to earn pretty good fees on. They could sell them either as a commission product that would pay them 1% per year in what is known in the insurance industry as a quote-unquote trail. And it just happened to equal 1% a year. That's the industry standard for broker-sold withdrawal benefit annuity trails, 1% a year. Well, what else is about 1% a year, Chris? Hmm. I don't know. Maybe the standard AUM fee? Oh, but do you think that's just random? I mean, that was just crap luck, right? It's total coincidence. Total coincidence, I'm sure. So when withdrawal benefits came out, you could take an upfront commission if you want, which back then and today are still about 5 to 9%. And that's not a misspeak, a spoke, or a misprint if I was writing this. Seriously, 5 to 9%. I just saw one that was offered to me today, uh, which from a company that I can't stand and I won't name, um, offering a 9% commission, 8% standard with a 1% commission bonus if I put a client in it by the end of September. So 9% up front if I wanted, that's pretty damn good. That's nine years of your income, Chris, all in year one. Huge incentive to sell that bad boy, isn't there? That's the insurance industry, folks. Totally not regulated like the financial planning industry. So when you sell these withdrawal annuities, the brokers can still make good money. And advisors now, even quote-unquote fee-only advisors, have had a come-to-Jesus moment on annuities, which they hated. They hated Spias. And again, in my biased opinion, it's because they can't charge their AUM fee on it, so they got to hate it by default. They hated SPIAs, but now all of a sudden they love these withdrawal annuities. Why? Because on their fee-based platform, they can continue to charge until the annuity runs out of money. They can continue to charge their AUM fee. So no harm, no foul for the advisor. 
But the advisor has a great selling point, whether it's the insurance agent or the advisor. And that is what, again, many people don't like about single premium immediate annuities. And I'll admit it. You have income and no longer a lump sum of money. And people don't like that, which, again, also made me scratch my head because so many people are jealous of other people who have a pension. And in our practice, Chris and I sometimes might say to each other, uh, this client is pension rich, asset poor. What does that mean, Chris? That just means they worked somewhere where the vast majority of their employer and or their own contributions went in to set up a um, you know, pen, traditional pension payment instead. And they don't have as much accumulated because a lot of their the normal contributions that would have gone into a 401k or something similar instead built up this pension benefit, this income benefit for the rest of their life. Right. So we would call them pension rich, asset poor. Now, some people are pension rich and asset rich. Mm -hmm. But for the most part, if you have a pension, you have this massive stream of lifetime income. But because you never had a 401k, you don't have as much saved. So we run into those types of people quite often. But other clients of ours, when they would sometimes hear in passing of their friends or through talking to us, we might mention, again, always protecting the anonymity of people, but we might mention to them, oh, well, we have a client in a similar situation, but they have a $60,000 a year pension that more than makes up for this. And we might mention something like that. People would say, oh, God, I'd love to have that pension. And then when we explained that, well, you could, you know, you've got three million saved, you could take a million of it and buy that stream of income. A lot of people will hesitate because that's a big chunk of change. And then they start doing the math in their heads. Well, what if I die? What if I don't get it all back? The same negativities that people with a pension have, but because you have to go out and physically buy it in one lump sum rather than putting a little bit of money in over the course of your working career, it seems to hurt more. So academics have turned that the annuity puzzle. The insurance company claims to have solved that. The cynic in me says it's <laughs> was solved in a way to continue paying outrageous fees to advisors, but they created these withdrawal benefit annuities. And on that, it says this. Hey, if you put money into this annuity, we're going to give you the ability to withdraw from it a stated amount every year. And I'll get deeper into these in June, but a stated amount every year. And as long as you don't take out more than that in any given year, we will continue to pay you. If you live long enough and your account balance reaches zero, you can call the deal off anytime you want. Once the penalty phase is over, do keep that in mind. These annuities generally come with a five, seven, or 10 year penalty period that if you call the deal off within the first five, seven, or 10 years and take out the remaining account balance, they're going to charge you a withdrawal penalty. They generally will not impose the withdrawal penalty on 
your stated withdrawal amounts every year. It's only if you take out more than that. But what they essentially are doing is they're only giving you your money. They're doling your money out. You still get an annuity statement showing an account balance. Many people like that. The problem is many advisors like that because they can charge on it and make an incredible amount of money. If they're a broker or an agent and they earn commissions and they want it all up front, you can get five to nine years of your 1% annual management fee all up front in one lump sum. Huge incentive, especially if you're thinking you're going to retire in the next couple of years. The advisor is going to retire in the next couple of years and he or she is thinking, wow, I can get I can get a boatload of money from my clients all up front and then I can retire. I'm not saying that's what they're going to do, but it creates that incentive, that conflict. And for those advisors who don't want to do that, they can continue to receive a trail on them of about 1% a year. And for registered investment advisors, such as myself, I have a RIA firm, and Chris and I are both investment advisor representatives of my RIA firm. We charge fees. We don't earn commissions. We could sell the fee-based version of these annuities and continue to impose an AUM fee on the account balance in the annuity. And the IRS has blessed this in a private letter ruling and said, you can do that as long as you don't take out more than one and a half percent a year. So they kind of established in the IRS's opinion, a reasonable fee. As long as you don't take out more than one and a half percent a year, If this annuity is not inside an IRA, if it's inside a non-IRA, we're not going to impose any taxes on the fee that comes out of the annuity. We'll impose taxes on the client on any withdrawal they take, but the client will not have to pay taxes on your fee that you take out of their annuity as long as you don't take out more than one and a half percent. So these annuities have grown in popularity and the insurance company claims to have solved the annuity puzzle. Well, I think what they solved was the payment puzzle to their advisor. You're going to be able to still get your AUM fee or you're going to be able to get a boatload of money up front in a commission. Or if you are a broker, you can still get a trail, your choice. So these withdrawal annuities were a lot easier to determine the account balance because you have the account. It's it's a verb, but it acts like a noun. Or it's a noun and it acts like a verb, whichever way you want to look at it. As long as you don't take out more than what they tell you you can take out, you get that forever, for the rest of your life. And if you live long enough and you have no more money in your account, then the insurance company will continue to pay you. Now, the negative with these, and there's many, but the big negative is dollar for dollar, you generally get more in a SPIA than you do in a withdrawal annuity. Sometimes the difference is quite substantial. However, there are times when the withdrawal annuity actually pays more than a SPIA. So I do feel you should look at withdrawal annuities as well as SPIAs if you're buying a lifetime stream of income. 
But I'm going to throw a huge caveat out there. Most withdrawal annuities are from private equity-owned Bermuda or Cayman Island-based private equity companies, especially the ones with very generous withdrawal benefits. And that scares me because I still favor the financial strength of highly rated, highly capitalized, storied, and old insurance companies. Totally different if you're buying a three, four, five-year-old MIGA. But if you're buying this lifetime stream of income on a withdrawal annuity and you're being recommended a withdrawal annuity, do your due diligence on the company and find out and ask the people, the private equity owner, are they based at all in the Cayman Islands or Bermuda? We talked about this. They get to use GAP accounting in the Cayman Islands and Bermuda. If they're based in America, they have to use SAP accounting, much more stringent accounting. Pay attention to this. Look at the TSR ratio, all these things that we'll talk about in June. What I want to get to are the letters that some people have shared with us on withdrawal annuities. Now, this particular one, and I apologize if people can hear my mom's dogs barking. Chris, are you picking that up? Very minimally. It's no no okay. big deal. Well, okay. we, we just appreciate you joining us from lovely from Florida. Florida. Yeah. So this annuity that was shared with us um, it clearly is a smaller annuity. But one of the things the IRS said about withdrawal annuities, and the IRS came out with this rule long before Secure Act is that, hey, you have to use the insurance company's value of what your annuity is worth. You cannot use the account balance. Do you remember that, Chris? Yeah, and that's essentially they have to build in an adjustment for the value of this lifetime income benefit that they're promising you, which goes above and beyond the traditional statement account balance that you're seeing. And that's why this is in here. It's the this extra complexity that these new annuities have with this extra, I call it a feature or a promise from the insurance company in this withdrawal benefit, this living benefit. It has value that they have to incorporate into this concept of a fair market value of the or actuarial based value they have different words for it of the annuity and that's what's used for rmd calculations for the annuity and i like the one that i'm looking at that someone sent from lincoln and again it it begins to assist in calculating your potential required minimum distributions from your above referenced annuity ira We are providing you with the prior year-end fair market value of your contract. Now, this is a withdrawal benefit annuity, folks. This person can just log on to Lincoln's website. And I'm naming the insurance companies. And keep this in mind. I'm not recommending any of these insurance companies. We talked about USAA. We talked about New York Life. And here I'm talking about Lincoln. I'm just trying to share with listeners if you have contracts with these companies, it seems like they're being proactive. So do keep that in mind. I 
not recommending any of these companies. But I do got to give kudos to Lincoln's letter. This is a withdrawal annuity. And the value that they're saying for RMD purposes is actually greater than the account balance. And they're trying to explain to this person why. And this is what's key that I want you guys to understand. You cannot, on a withdrawal annuity, just use the account balance. Because these withdrawal annuities have benefits built into them. What's the benefit? The explicit promise that if your annuity reaches zero and you're still alive, you're going to continue to get income payments for the rest of your life. Now, these dollar amounts are small, but the account balance for RMD purposes is about 10% higher than the gentleman's actual account balance. So they go on to say your account value as of December 31st, 2023 is $27,670.75. But your APV, and I'll explain what APV in a minute is, of your living benefit is an additional $2,699.47. For RMD purposes, your fair market value as of December 31st, 2023 is $30,370.22. I like how they spelled that out. Pardon? I like how they spelled that out. Yeah. And they go on to say what APV is. The fair market value of a qualified annuity contract is the sum of the following. And then it says bullet point one, your prior year and account balance. That one's pretty straightforward, Chris. Number two, the prior year and actuarial present value or APV of additional benefits that are provided under the terms of your contract. Only, the the IRS has stated this, folks, only an insurance company who issues a withdrawal benefit annuity can determine the net present value for RMD purposes. And this came out long before Secure 2. When these withdrawal benefit annuities started to grow in popularity about 12, 15 years ago, the IRS was quick to pounce and say, wait a minute, time out. You are a new, if this was annuitized, remember this is pre-secure too. If this was annuitized, you can't use the balance to offset RMDs from any other annuities. That was the rule before Secure. But you guys have created a product that has the benefit of the verb, but it acts like a noun. And people, because you have an account balance, are using this account balance and the distribution from the annuity as part of their RMD calculation. And especially as these annuity balances, folks, get smaller and smaller and smaller. Think of what the IRS was thinking about about eight, nine years ago when they came out with this rule. They're sitting there saying, wait a minute, if somebody puts, say, 300000 in 
And I'm just going to use some round numbers, folks. And they're getting $30,000 a year in a payout. It's not practical, but follow the, the logic. Five years from now, they're going to have a $30,000 payment, but they're only going to be using $150,000 as the balance of their IRA, giving them a huge excess amount. And they're going to be using that entire excess amount to offset RMDs on other IRAs they have because this is a noun. It's not a verb. They're allowed to do that. So the insurance, excuse me, the IRS came out and says, wait a minute. The insurance company has to now start determining the APV or actuarial present value for RMD purposes and factor in all of these lifetime benefits that the annuity is offering, this would effectively do what? Make the current balance of the annuity greater than what it is, thereby reducing the amount of the excess payments that are, were being used by many, many people to this day to offset annuity, excuse me, RMD payments on their non-annuitized IRAs. So that's why the insurance company is being forced to provide this. I like this because it shows with something that we have been talking about on the show, that you can't use the account balance on these withdrawal annuities. You have to use the balance that is being shown. And this Example, 30,370. So this person, if they were taking RMDs from this annuity, would have to use 30,370 in their calculation of their 2024 RMD. They can use the entire amount. Let's just say this annuity was started many, many years ago when the account balance was 200,000. But he's been taking out withdrawals for many, many years, and he's down to just 30. I'm just making this up. But let's just say his withdrawal started uh, you know, at $12,000. So he's getting 12000 hypothetically, in my example, from this annuity. But the account balance is only 30. So that's how this annuity works, a withdrawal annuity but you have to use their actuarial balance. Now, the example I just gave, those numbers would never match up. But nonetheless, you can understand the concepts and why the IRS came out with this rule. Because these annuities, a verb that acts like a noun or a noun that acts like a verb, depending on where you want to word it. So they wanted the the, uh, actuarial value of these benefits to be included. Okay. Anything you want to add on that before we briefly mention a a neat thing now about QLAX? You have to mention it quickly. How much time do we have? Three, four minutes. Okay. I'll try my best. Okay. One of the things with QLAX that were intriguing when they first came out, and we're going to talk much more in depth on QLAX in June, A QLAC is a Qualified Longevity Annuity Contract. The big claim to fame that people had with them, or still have with them, and the insurance company likes about them, and Congress specifically wrote into the, not Congress, excuse me, the Department of Treasury, 
created QLACs. They came out with the concept of a QLAC in 2009 in direct response to the 2008 debacle in the housing and stock market. Everyone should remember that. So they came out with a concept of saying, hey, one of the reasons people do not buy annuities inside their IRAs is they have to take RMDs at the time 70 and a half. And if you bought a deferred income annuity, which is a verb, but it doesn't pay the income within the first 13 months, it might pay the income 10, 15, 20 years from now. People, if they wanted to buy one of those annuities, they were stymied. Why? As soon as they hit 70 and a half, those annuities had to turn on and stop paying the income out because it was an IRA, if it was being bought inside an IRA. So QLACs came about and Congress said, hey, if you buy a deferred income annuity, as long as it follows these rules and Congress, excuse me, Department of Treasury uh, created the acronym QLAC, Qualified Longevity Annuity Contract, said if it follows these rules, you can continue to let that money stew inside the annuity and not take any RMDs at 70 and a half. Nowadays, it's 73 and eight years from now, it'd be 75. But at the time, it was 70 and a half. We'll let you keep it in there for another 15 years. You don't have to take your first payment until age 85. So it was a way for people to say, whoa, I can reduce my RMDs for the first 15 years of my retirement by putting some money in a QLAP. And then if I'm still alive, I'll start to get money. But what was the negative of that? What happened in 15 years with that first payment, Chris? Once those payments started, they were quite large, having stewed in there so long. And and now you're starting them at a very um, much older age, and therefore the annuity payments are very, very large, caused huge distributions, well, relatively huge distributions, that were all fully taxable since the money's coming out of your IRA, well in excess of what RMDs would be. So it kind of kicked the can down the road for RMDs, but caused a bigger RMD issue once they were turned on. And that kind of took a little bit of the shine off of QLAX. Absolutely. And they are significantly greater. If you bought a QLAC in your 50s or 60s, which is what Department of Treasury intended them to be purchased at, you're getting RMDs four, five times what you would have had to take out if you never annuitized it to begin with. Significantly greater. And that was often viewed as a negative, which again made me scratch my head. You're getting all this money. Wow. Who cares if you have to give some of it to the government? But some people did. But now, folks, with Section 204, QLEX kind of really looking pretty damn good. During the stew period, if you will, now it's only 75 to 85, so it's not the same as if it was 70 to 85. During that deferral period, no RMDs at all. But once they begin, you can defer them to as long as age 85. So if you waited to 85, you can. You can turn them on earlier. But if you waited to age 85 and turned it on, because of 204, if you don't need those extra dollars in the future, 
all the excess can be used to offset RMDs from your non-annuitized IRAs. But at 85, if you do need the money, especially if you had long-term care issues or inflation was really wreaking ugly head uh, on your regular payments of Social Security and maybe pension, and you needed some more dollars, boom, all of a sudden you're getting a stream of big payout amounts. And the amount you can put into a QLAC, I believe, was recently doubled. Isn't it 250 now up from 125? Or do I have that wrong? But just can Google real quick. But I I, I believe under Secure 2, they greatly expanded the amount of money you can put in. 25% of your IRA balance or I think 250, whatever. No, 200. 200? Mm -hmm. But still significantly higher than where it was. So 25% of the value of the IRA or 200000 whatever's um, whatever's higher or lower? I think whatever's lower. Right. But nonetheless, a QLAC is more intriguing now for those of you who want to buy the verb early in retirement just to be done with it. Just don't want to deal with it. You've crunched the numbers. You can afford it. You want that extra income in the future to help keep pace with inflation or long-term care expenses or whatever. And now the fact that you can use the big QLAC payments, assuming you bought them somewhere in your 50s and 60s, the massive QLAC payments in the future, relatively speaking, can be used to offset RMDs, QLACs are looking attractive as well. Mm-hmm. Perfect. So I'm glad you squeezed that in. We do have to wrap up and run here, but I think we I think we accomplished an interesting show showing people how these insurance companies are, are coming around to helping you out in your quest to take advantage of the Section 204 provision of Secure 2.0. We'll talk about this more during June when we talk about annuities again, but this kind of... This, we had this flurry of activity from listeners that shared us shared with us these statements and thought we'd share them all with you. And now you can be on the lookout if you have one of these or we're contemplating. You know that these insurance companies are starting to make your life easier on these calculations. So, Jim, have a good time until uh, I talk to you again down in Florida. Uh, say hi to your mom for me. I will do that. And, and thanks, uh, listeners, to listen and We'll be back with you, I think, uh, Friday, Saturday yeah. with a Q&A show. Just a few days for the Q&A show and next week with another EDU show. So everybody take care till then. You have listened to Jim on the radio, read his quotes in the media, and enjoyed his banter on iTunes. But even now you may wonder what sets Jim Salmier and Associates apart from other financial planning companies. The answer is quite simple. Jim's diverse team of professionals specializes in retirement planning. They form a lifelong relationship with you and measure their success not through product sales, but through the security and prosperity you may achieve in your retirement. Jim's entire team shares his unwavering commitment to placing their clients' best interests first while offering their services at fair prices with full disclosures. The professionals at Jim Saulnier & Associates are available to assist you with your retirement planning needs. Visit jimhelps.com to schedule your complimentary coffee and a second opinion meeting. That's jim, H-E-L-P-S, dot com. Or call 970-530-530. 
1-800-227-0556. The Retirement and IRA Show represents the words and views of the show hosts exclusively and should not be construed as investment, legal, or tax advice. All information is believed to be from reliable sources. However, we make no representation as to its completeness or accuracy. All economic and performance information is historical in nature and is not indicative of any future results. Any indices mentioned on the show are unmanaged and cannot be invested indirectly. Diversification and asset allocation strategies do not assure profit or protect against loss. Never make any investment or financial decisions based on information offered on this show without first consulting your financial, legal, or tax advisor. Financial planning services offered through Jim Solnier & Associates, LLC, a registered investment advisor. 